Welcome to episode 51 of the Various and Sundry podcast. I am your host, Matt Harmon, joined in virtual studio by my co-host, my good friend, and the man who is currently mourning a Jets victory, yeah. John Scott Sloat. Doc, what's going on? Well, I, I think I think I should just uh, you know check in with you. I mean, just to 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 see. I mean, we're 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 ready diving already diving right into the sports here, and uh, yeah. the breaking news as we record on this Sunday night uh, is the Jets are no longer winless. Yeah, yeah, and the reason this upsets me for the non-sports listener out there is the Jets no longer, as it stands today, get the number one pick, and so don't get the best player available. Um, now there's still a few weeks to play, so something could something odd could happen, and the Jaguars could win a game or two, you know. So it's not over yet, but it does. It's we're not in the catbird seat anymore, Indeed. and that's tough. Yeah. Yeah. Well, before we go a little deeper dive on the sports, we should remind our listeners that you can find us on various social media outlets. You can find us on Twitter at the and s pod. You can email the show various and sundry podcast at gmail.com. You can also find us on Facebook. We have a Facebook page, various and sundry podcast. Give us a like and a follow. And uh, if you'd really like to do us a solid, you can go on to the Apple uh, podcast app and leave us a five-star rating and a review, which will help others uh, find the podcast as well. So uh, with those preliminaries out of the way, so uh, let's get back to your Jets here, uh, John. Um, yeah. if, if If you were the owner... What would you do at this point if you no longer have the number one pick? Would you draft maybe Justin Fields? Would you uh, drop down in the draft and just hang with Sam Darnold for another year? What would you uh, What would you recommend? Yeah, it's a t- it's a tough call because Sam Darnold played so well today um, that my goodness, if you gave him a competent coach um, and gave him a, a bit more of an offensive line, would he blossom? Um, there's part of me that feels that that may, may be best, or maybe you go with Justin Fields, you know, uh, that, that could also be really good. I, I probably lean more toward building around Sam Darnold. Um, I think I've seen some arm talent there and I think he just needs some development and some mentors around him to, to really excel, but, uh, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm, maybe I'm just a, uh, overly hopeful optimist when it comes to Sam Darnold. So or, or, or perhaps you're overly optimistic in uh, whoever they will select as the new head coach of the New York football jets at the end of the season. And that person's ability to develop, a, have a coaching staff that will actually develop cool. a quarterback. Sure. Yeah. And I think some of it comes down to ownership. You know, um, I think we saw in baseball, at least recently, that um, a new exciting owner who seems to want to win really draws a lot of talent. A lot of, a lot of guys who are well-respected in the industry will, will come out of the woodwork to work for a guy like that. Um, and I wonder if we have that with the Jets. Um, it, I just got to kind of shrug because I don't know how well the owner's respected in, in, in those circles, if that makes sense. Yes. Understood. Understood. So, well, elsewhere in the NFL, as we record on this Sunday night, 
the Chiefs and the Saints had a uh, a, a highly entertaining uh, game that just ended with the Chiefs hanging on and winning by uh, I think it was three, and uh, and the uh, yeah just fun to watch Patrick Mahomes and Drew Brees go back and forth. Drew Brees coming back from uh, suffering I think it was eleven cracked ribs and a punctured lung. Not a bad so, day. Yeah, uh, you know, it, no one should doubt Drew Brees' toughness at this point. No, no, absolutely not. The guy is proven again and again. He's a he's a tough fellow coming back from rotator cuff, and now uh, from these uh, from these from this rib injury. Um, yeah, absolutely. So, um, so John, who do you like coming out of the NFC? The AFC seems like it's it's it'd be surprising if either the chiefs or the bills didn't come out of the AFC. Those, those two teams look like the two strongest uh, in the AFC. And I think they've, they've probably separated themselves a little bit from the pack in the AFC when it comes to uh, that side. Uh, You know, I think the Browns and the Steelers uh, and maybe even um, uh, who's coming out of the, anybody else? I'm trying to think who else might even be, a threat in the AFC. The, uh, those, I think the Ravens, the Ravens are up there. Um, they could be. Yeah. They've struggled, but uh, when you've got Lamar Jackson and a strong running game, you never know. So the Colts could be sneaky good at, at times. Um, that's who I'm forgetting about the Colts. Yeah. They're 10 and four, but I'm just not, I'm just not sold on them. Uh, yeah. I, I just don't think Phillip rivers, especially at this stage in his career is uh, reliable enough to get you to the Super Bowl. Yeah, Philip Rivers always seems to be a guy that's going to rack up a lot of yards, but at the at the end, just sort of flounder. Um, but the question is about the NFC. Well, you, you're going to laugh at me, but if you'd have asked me this morning, I probably would have said the Los Angeles Rams. <laughs> um, I thought nobody was talking about them. They were they were good. They were playing good defense. The offense was humming along. I thought, boy, they're they're going to be sneaky. They they had that experience a couple of years ago where they lost. I thought they were potentially really good, and maybe maybe this horrendous loss um, to you know a, a Division two school will will cause them to like kick it into gear and, and really play well. Um, but uh, I have to say, I'm probably on the Packers bandwagon. I think when you got Aaron Rodgers, that's that's just a good recipe to play really well. Offense seems to be playing really well. Defense seems to be playing good enough uh, to win. Well, how about yourself? Who do you like out of the out of the NFC? Well, I I think I still lean towards the Saints. The challenge with the Saints is that uh, because they lost today and Green Bay won last night, uh, Green Bay is all all but clinched home field advantage throughout the uh, throughout the playoffs, and that's no easy task to go into Lambeau and, and beat the Packers. Yeah. But I still, I do think they're the better team. Um, and I do think that they will, uh, when they get, uh, they'll get Michael Thomas back for the playoffs. That'll be a huge, uh, boost for them. But I, I, you know, the NFC is pretty wide open at this point. So there could be a surprise team that comes out. Yeah, and you have a pretty green coach in uh, in Matt Lafleur up there in Green Bay. You know, he where you have a seasoned veteran with Sean Payton. That may not that may not be a bad pick. You know, uh, if you're going to take the Saints. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see. Uh, 
Before we get to our college football discussion, uh, we should note that the uh, NBA season is basically set to tip off by the time that this episode drops. And so it's, it's, uh, I think we are contractually obligated to check in with our uh, New York Knickerbockers correspondent, John Sloat, and, and get an update on how the Knicks are looking heading into the year. Yeah, the, the Knicks, um, they, they got, well, off-season moves. They, they got Tom Thibodeau as, as their coach, which when I say that name to you, Matt, what, what does that mean? What does the name mean? Yeah, like when, you know, when I say Tom Thibodeau, what do, you, what do you think of? I think of a guy who drives his players very hard and has a limited shelf life because I think players will tune him out after about a couple of years. Um, I, I just think he's probably a little bit more old school in terms of how he manages players and what he demands from them. And it can work initially, I think, if guys mm-hmm. buy in and you've got the talent, but um, I think beyond a couple of years, it's hard for him to uh, maintain that with players. I, I think I'm in a similar mindset when it comes to him. I think it tends to work with younger players, uh, which the Knicks seem to have a lot of younger players. So um, that's been good uh, in the preseason. I think they've won three or four, three of four of their preseason games, maybe all four, uh, but they were against the Pistons and the Cavaliers. So not the best competition. Um so we'll see. I, I, uh, Scott Sloat, my father, um, was, was encouraged by what he's seeing out of out of camp. So um, take that for what it's worth. My my uh, six foot father, um, you know, saying what his his thoughts and feelings on the uh, on the Knicks. But uh, well, he but, is old enough to remember the last time the Knicks won a uh, a world championship. So yeah, yeah, he cer- certainly certainly is. Um, and the last time they were consistently good, you know, the nineties, which I remember a little bit, but not, not super well. Um, so except, I mean, I enjoy watching them regardless of how terrible they are, which they've been bad for over a decade now yeah, um, yeah. Go, going on. Oh, I think we're at two decades now that we've been bad. <laughs> um, so uh, yeah, I all enjoy watching them. They play the pit or they play the Pacers uh, Wednesday night. So looking forward to that. But let's get to the real. I mean, not the real, but but the big news: uh, the college football playoff. Uh, so Ohio State made it in. They did. They defeated Northwestern and our Big Ten champs um, in a game that was closer than it should have been. Um, Ohio State uh, struggled for good portions of that game. Uh, and I love Ryan day. I think he's an amazing, amazing football coach, but this was the first game in his two years where I've thought his play calling was, was, was bad because, uh, Justin Fields was having a rough day. The passing game wasn't working and we were running at will, but we weren't committed to the running game. And it wasn't until like the third midway through the third quarter, they finally realized gosh, our running back is averaging like 10 yards a carry. Maybe we should just keep giving him the ball. And as a result, Trey Sermon, the Oklahoma grad transfer, ended up rushing for an Ohio State record 331 yards in that game. Wow. So he broke Eddie George's record, Ezekiel Elliott's record. I mean – 
he just had himself a field day. So, uh, yeah, in fact, um, well, yeah, we'll just leave it at that. The, uh, that was enough to get them in the playoff. Uh, the, the, the other noteworthy games from, from Saturday, of course, were the Clemson Notre Dame rematch and, uh, Clemson basically, uh, just put a whooping on Notre Dame. Yeah. Destroyed them. And, um, there was question as to whether Notre Dame would still make the college football playoff as a result. And uh, they did, but uh, we'll talk about that in a minute. And then the other championship game, uh, Alabama hung on to beat Florida who made it close and entertaining. Uh, I think the final score was, what was it? It was like 52 46 or something like that. So uh, you know, defense optional uh, in, in that <laughs> one there, but that leaves us with a final four of Alabama playing Notre Dame in the Rose Bowl in one semifinal and a rematch of Ohio State against Clemson, two versus three in the other uh, national semifinal. Yeah, there's a couple good storylines here. I like the that Clemson and Ohio State are going to square off uh, in a bit of a rematch. I think that's exciting and, and fun. Uh, two and, best quarterbacks in the country. Yeah. And honestly, that's what every Ohio state fan wanted. Okay. That's who they want because Ohio state fans feel like we got hosed last year against Clemson. So we'd like another crack at, uh, at Clemson. Boy, was that this year? Was well, that it was a, it was was a that, year ago. That was 2020. That was in 2020. No, 2019. It was, was last year's college football playoff. Okay. Okay. Oh man. That that feels like so long ago. Like I feel like I lived a full life since then. <laughs> yeah, I think we all have. Um, and it'll be interesting. You've got Alabama playing Notre Dame. Um, you had a, a a decent number of Notre Dame fans, kind of kind of you know puffing their chests out and you know strutting a little bit that they were ten and zero and confident that they were going to beat Clemson and and all that. And then they went out and got their got their butts handed to them by by Clemson and so it'll be interesting to see you know can Notre Dame make that a competitive game the spread from Vegas is at 17 and a half Bama's wow. a 17 and a half point favorite yeah. so clearly Vegas doesn't believe in in Notre Dame yeah that's bulletin board spread right there yeah the the spread for the Ohio State Clemson game is uh it's like six and a half so I think that might come down just a little bit by the time that game actually kicks in a couple weeks. So we shall see. Um, it'll be, it'll be interesting just to see how that all develops. Um, you, you know, it's, there was a lot of controversy about who was going to get that four spot, especially once Notre Dame lost badly to Clemson. And you have a lot of whining from, um, uh, over in, uh, uh, entitled uh, Texas A&M fans who thinks that just because they played in the SEC and only lost to Bama by 28, that they should get in. So in any case, the uh, college football playoff is now set. Okay. Um, for the record, I think I'd like to see this go to eight teams. The playoff to eight? Yeah, you could do yeah. that. I. I think that would be, I mean, then you would get AM, you'd get um, Cincinnati, 
Coastal Carolina. I mean, you get you'd get some fun storylines in there, some some possible Cinderellas, which I think this is missing because these are the four teams, with the exception of maybe Notre Dame, that I would have expected to see at the beginning of the year. Yeah, that's probably correct. That's probably correct. So but... I, I think I think it is missing that element, and I, I'd like to see eight teams just for the record. I I am in agreement. I think you could do. Uh, all Power Five conference champions get the automatic bid. Sure. You give, you guarantee a spot to the best non-Power Five team in the rankings. And then you pick two at large. You seed them up, and then you play the first round uh, at uh, on site. Meaning, so if you're if you're the number one seed, one through four, you get a home game in the yeah, first round of the playoffs. Like so I, I think I, I think that'd be my preferred way to go about it. Yeah, I think that'd be fun. Well, John, in light of it being the week of Christmas, we decided that for our main topic, we would simply read through the Christmas story as recorded in Luke chapter two, and just share some thoughts and reflections on that. And, uh, you know, maybe if there's a, uh, a pastor out there who needs to do a little sermon prep for the uh, Christmas Eve service and wants to <laughs> preach Luke two, we might be doing him a solid as well. Yeah, yeah. Hopefully, uh, it can be something that's helpful. Give us some new insights into uh, what's what is a really familiar passage uh, for for I imagine most of us. And I do think there are some some interesting tidbits in here that uh, might give a, a little bit of a, a new twist on, on on the Christmas story here. So uh, I don't want to try to I don't want to promise too much, but <laughs> let's. Uh, I think the best way for us to do this is we're going to take it in, you know, chunks. So we're going to have John read, uh, John, we'll have you read the, uh, the chunk from the ESV mm-hmm. and, uh, and then, uh, I'll share some insights and, um, you know, John will jump in as well. And, uh, we'll just kind of go through like that and see kind of where our discussion leads us. So, so John, let's go ahead and start with, uh, Luke chapter two, and let's just read the first seven verses of that account. Yeah. And, and people listening, if, if available and not driving or something, should grab a Bible and, and read along with us. So uh, absolutely. Two, uh, verses one to seven. In those days, uh, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. Uh, this was the first registration when uh, Crinius was governor of Syria and all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the household and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were, uh, while, and while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes uh, and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. Okay, so uh, obviously there's a lot we can talk about in this particular paragraph. I'm going to try to uh, focus just on a handful of things. Uh, I would say that the first thing that catches my attention as we read through this is the fact that Luke goes out of his way to stress that what he is recording is history. 
he's situating it very intentionally within a specific historical period. This is not just some sort of myth or uh, some sort of nice story, but he wants believers to understand when the birth of Jesus happened within actual human history. And that's something I think that's pretty distinct about Christianity is its focus on being historically rooted. Uh, Doc, is it, is it fair to say um, Luke is writing this to Theophilus, right? Uh, this guy that's really commissioning Luke to, to go gather up this story and information. Theophilus would have been like, oh, yes, I've, I've read about this. Or, oh, yes, I know about uh, this uh, registration that took place. Yeah, I think that's pretty likely. Um, as I understand it, I think Luke probably wrote this gospel account sometime in the uh, in the late 50s hmm. AD. So, uh, you know, I think this this re- this registration that that he refers to would have been relatively common knowledge. And the fact that uh, there was there were multiple uh, registrations for tax purposes like this, Luke goes out of his way to explain which one he means. Uh, there is a uh, an interesting little translation issue there. I think there in verse um, verse two, when it says this was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. I think another way to translate that would be something along the lines of this was the registration before hmm. Quirinius was governor in Syria. There are some uh, historical dating issues that we don't need to go into the deep dive on here, but um, I think that's probably uh, maybe a slightly better translation there when it comes to uh, situating that. We don't have an exact date. Even that date doesn't give us a, a, an exact year. Uh, my guess is is probably around 5 BC, uh, 4 or 5 BC when, hmm. um, when Jesus is born. But uh, a lot of factors go into trying to come up with a good date for that. And, and Doc, what's the significance of coming to Bethlehem specifically? Obviously, this is, this is where uh, Joseph finds his lineage. Um, but w- what uh, biblical significance is there to, to this, being, this being the place that they return to? Well, I think that the, the, the primary thing to, to notice out of that is the fact that uh, Bethlehem was associated with King David. And uh, even if you look at Micah chapter five, verse two, God had essentially promised that the Messiah would come from Bethlehem. So those are, those are probably the two main uh, pieces of significance there. And even, even in the short paragraph that we read here, there, there are a couple of uh, important things to note in connection with David. You notice that Bethlehem is referred to as the city of David. And then it describes in verse four that he had to go there. Joseph had to go there because he was of the house and lineage of David. And this is uh, setting up what's going to be clear. And actually, if you've read through chapter one at this point, you know that the child that Mary is carrying is the heir to David's throne. So it's reinforcing the Davidic lineage of Jesus through stressing that. Um, and Doc, any, you know, I wasn't aware that they had Motel 6 or um, <laughs> a, a, a the Marriott in Bethlehem at this time period. Is, is, 
was there such things as inns uh, during this time? There were, in fact, inns during this time. What's interesting, though, about this particular reference here in, in Luke chapter 2, verse 7, is that a, a growing number of scholars believe that that is that translating the Greek word behind that is better understood as guest room rather than in. And hmm. one of the main pieces of, of, of uh, evidence for moving away from translating this Greek word as in is the fact that in the well-known uh, parable of the Good Samaritan, where it says that the Samaritan passing by uh, cares for the injured man and he takes him to the inn, Luke uses a different word. And so this, this, uh, this word here could also just as easily refer to a guest room in a home. Hmm. And so I think the best way to understand what's going on here is that because people were traveling to Bethlehem for this census, this registration, my guess is that the, the, the relatives that Joseph was uh, staying with, the house was already full. And so the only space really available to them was the open area in the center of the house where animals were brought in to keep them warm at night. So that's why you have a, you know, when he's born and he's laid in a manger or a feeding trough, I think that that's what's reflecting that. Very common in first century Jewish homes to have uh, that kind of open area and where uh, animals were brought in at night. And then the different like bedrooms, if you want to call them that were off of that. So I think that that's probably what Luke is envisioning here as he's describing it. Not that this was a, uh, there wasn't any space in the motel six in Bethlehem. Hmm. All right. Well, very interesting. Uh, should we, should we move on or any, I, any other comments? Um, I'll just make one quick comment here. Uh, back to Bethlehem is the fact that Bethlehem was a very small town at this point, despite its association with David, it was actually a pretty small town and it was only probably, you know, five, six miles away from Jerusalem, which was the big city, you know, in in that sense. So uh, Bethlehem was, was uh, not especially prominent other than because of its association with David historically, but you know, it wasn't like it was the place to be in first century, uh, around the first century there. All right. Well, let's, uh, let's go ahead and read, uh, I'll read verses eight to 14. Uh, and in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were filled with fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy uh, that will be for all all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. Uh, You will find find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and and suddenly uh, there was with Joel's uh, a multi-heavenly host, God, and 
glory to God in the host, and on earth peace among uh, those with whom he is pleased. All right, Doc, any, any initial thoughts or comments as you're, as you're uh, reading through that? Yeah, I mean, I think it's our familiarity with the story can, can uh, be a hindrance sometimes, I think, because we're, we're so familiar with it that we don't even stop to think about the fact that out of all the people that God could have announced the, uh, the birth of the Messiah, he chooses a group of shepherds. Mm-hmm. And it's not like the, these shepherds were, um, you know, influential people, people they, they weren't. They were just very ordinary common folk. And uh, I, I do think, though, there, there's, there's a bit of a, um, I, if you're going to ask, why, why might God have chosen to do this? I, I think there's an irony here. Because one of the uh, common metaphors for the leaders of God's people were shepherds. But rather than announce the birth of Jesus to the leadership of Israel at the time, God chooses actual shepherds to announce the birth of Jesus, the true shepherd, as we'll come to see later in the gospel accounts. And it's also been suggested, and this is not something that uh, I'm, I'm confident enough to say this is for sure, but given the proximity of Bethlehem to Jerusalem, some scholars have suggested that the flocks that these shepherds were overseeing were for uh, these, that these, these sheep were being raised for use in sacrifice in the temple. Oh, interesting. Now, I'm not ready to go all in on that, but I, I think there's a good, a good case to be made for that being, uh, being in the case. So. Um, is there a connection to David here as well? Um, sure. David uh, was a shepherd before he came became king, and uh, I, I could see and just really just bouncing this off you in the minute in the moment is uh, is is that a connect is that a possible connection there as well? Yeah, absolutely. I, I I think that there's very much an intentionality there um, with the connection to David. David being a shepherd. Um, and that shepherd language being applied to both the leadership of God's people. I mean, one of the key texts really for looking at that is, uh, is Ezekiel 34, hmm. that as the, uh, as the exile is underway or about to happen, God condemns the wicked shepherds of Israel, the, the leaders, but promises to raise up a shepherd who will be a descendant of David, who will rule over God's people. And, and you think about the, the imagery of shepherd, right? Well, a shepherd guides, he protects, he leads, he provides. Those are the kinds of things, of course, that the leadership of God's people are supposed to do. And yet that's not really happening. You know, when, when Jesus is born, the ruler over Israel under Rome's authority is Herod the Great, who, despite his remarkable building prowess, was an absolute monster of a human being. Mm-hmm. Um, Doc, I'm drawn a little bit to this uh, statement that the angels declare about Jesus. They get, they give him a a, a title, right? Uh, a savior who is Christ the Lord. What what uh, 
What's packed into that? What, what significance is there? Yeah, so I think that each of those terms deserves a little bit of attention on its own before you kind of throw them all together. Uh, savior obviously has connotations of rescuing from danger. Mm-hmm. And all throughout the, the Old Testament, you have this pretty strong emphasis that ultimately, even though God raises up little mini saviors, you know, you can think of like the judges, you can think of kings and that sort of thing. Ultimately, God makes it clear he alone is the true savior of God's people. He alone is the one who can rescue them, not merely from their uh, political enemies, but ultimately from their even greater spiritual enemies of sin, death, and Satan himself. So um, that that title of savior has, again, the, those connotations. And then when you come to the title Christ, I, I think there's a uh, there's a pretty significant danger, again, because we are so familiar with that title that we miss out on its significance. So Christ is really just the Greek equivalent to the Hebrew term Messiah. And both of those terms have the sense of anointed one. Hmm. And anointing in the Old Testament was an act that set a person apart for a specific purpose within God's plan. And so prophets were anointed, priests were anointed, but even more significantly, kings were anointed. And this this term of Christ or Messiah really takes on probably the biggest significance when you look at Psalm chapter 2, where, um, and, and this is uh, a psalm written by uh, written by David, at least according to Acts chapter four verse twenty five. But in in the context of of God um, of, of of talking about this sort of cosmic battle between good and evil in the world, it's interesting that uh, Psalm two verse one says, "Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves." And the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed. So anointed there, Messiah or Christ, is identified as this individual who is God's appointed king. And he is, based on the rest of the Psalms and the promise made to David in 2 Samuel 7, this king is the one through whom God is going to set all things right. So all of those associations kind of come together with that title of Christ. And then lastly, that title of Lord, um, you know, at one level, it could simply be, it can refer to someone who is in authority. And yet in this context, I think it's pretty clearly a, has the fuller significance of a reference to God himself. Hmm. So that even within this condensed title, I think you have really a, a reference to both his humanity. He is Christ. He is the anointed king from David's line. And yet understood within the larger context of scripture itself, it's also a statement of, of his deity as well. Hmm. Any, any other comments or thoughts, uh, Doc, before we move on to the final uh, final uh, five or six verses here. 
I think we can go ahead and move on to that last last chunk. Yeah. Okay. Um, verse 15 to 20. Uh, when the angels went away from them into heaven, uh, the shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see the thing that has happened, uh, which the Lord has made known to us. And they uh, went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby uh, lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known uh, the saying that had been told to them concerning this child. And all uh, who heard it wondered at what the shepherds had told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. Uh, and the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen uh, as it had been told to them. Yeah, I think in this last paragraph here, I, I would just want to focus on uh, the different responses you see. So you've got, um, you've got the shepherds, and I think they, they model for us two different aspects of response. Uh, the first is they model evangelism. They're hmm. telling people. Yeah. They, they are announcing to people, you won't believe what we saw. So they are communicating this good news, this message about the birth of, of the Savior, Christ the Lord. But you also see a response of worship. You see there in verse uh, 20 that as they returned, they were glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. So you see that their response was, was worship. And then probably you could argue maybe one of the, mo the most interesting response is Mary's response. That's kind of set apart in, in even how Luke tells the story when he says there in verse 19 that Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And, you know, Mary has the benefit, of course, of having additional revelation, right? You've got Gabriel has come to her and said, you're going to carry the Christ child. Hmm. And so she has more information than the shepherds have. And she is pictured as, uh, as treasuring these things. And I, and I love that choice of word because uh, it's not just that she's thinking about them. It's not just that she's remembering them. But when you talk about treasuring something, there's a delight. There's, a, there, there's communication of this idea of joy and delight and wonder, probably all mixed in with that, with that wording of treasuring. And that fact that she's pondering them suggests that she's repeatedly reflecting on them over and over again, thinking about the significance of what, uh, what, what has happened. There's an ascribed value there. She's uh, put um, a ton of stock, a, a ton of desire into that. Uh, and is just, I, I think, pondering, uh, she's rolling it over in her mind, constantly thinking, constantly praising, constantly glorifying uh, God about these things. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that, you know, even as we think about how should we respond to the telling of the Christmas story, really those three responses that I've talked about, this idea of, you know, we could put them in, in a different order if we wanted to, you know, the idea of personal reflection and delight in and pondering them that they are on our minds. 
of telling others about this good news, especially around the Christmas holiday. And of course, uh, worshiping, you know, expressing praise to God for the wonder that God became flesh and dwelt among us. Yeah, awesome. Um, Doc, any other comments uh, about uh, our brief walkthrough of the Christmas, uh, of the birth of Christ here? Uh, I think that pretty much covers it. I did want to suggest some resources if people want to go a little deeper dive on on this particular uh, part of scripture. Um, Andreas Kostenberger and Justin Taylor wrote a book called The First Days of Jesus, The Story of the Incarnation. And that's a super accessible uh, read on just the different passages that tell this story, not just the Luke 2, but also Matthew 1 and 2. And, um, and also uh, just kind of set some of the context for that. That's a, that's a resource I highly recommend. If you want to go a little bit more onto the historical end of things to try to uh, get a little bit more on maybe when Jesus was born, I've got two recommendations there. There's a book by Harold Honer called Chronological Aspects of the Life of Christ that's got a chapter on this. And then Paul Meyer also wrote a book called In the Fullness of Time that uh, has a chapter on the birth of Jesus. And then if you really want to go deep dive, this is not necessarily highly recommended, but it's because it's just technical. There's a book by Colin Nichol called The Great Christ Comet. And based, and he uses astronomy as well as scripture to try to more, uh, to more, to pinpoint more when Jesus would have been born, and he comes to the conclusion of October in five BC. And it's a fascinating uh, treatment of that. So, awesome. Um, well, Doc, I, is with your permission, um, I think it's time to transition to an athlete. I agree. Episode fifty-one. I know we've almost made it a full year, uh, week yeah. by week. That's that's pretty good. Yeah. So uh, let me run through. Or do you? Actually, I'll let you run through through the athletes, John. Okay. Uh, so we have a we have uh, a couple really really excellent ones. Um, who knew fifty one? Uh, first, uh, Randy Johnson uh, wore fifty one. Uh, uh, came up, I believe. With did he come up with the Expos? Does that sound right? And then transition to the Mariners. Is that's that- correct. Yep. Um, I think best known for being with the Mariners, the Diamondbacks, where he killed a bird with a fastball. Uh, if you recall, that um, is one of the like one of the best internet videos out there. If you just Google that, it's remarkable because it's just in the course of throwing a pitch. And Randy Johnson was this massive human being. He's like six eleven. Like he was like crazy tall. He's in the upper. He's well over six five. Yeah. Yeah. And so throwing with great velocity and it's just this convergence of circumstances where the bird was in the wrong place at the wrong time. And (laughs) you just see feathers just, it's like, it's like the bird explodes. I think the bird does explode. Like it just meets with that much. Anyway. um, And then uh, late in his career went to, uh, went to play for the Yankees. And I think, uh, assaulted a cameraman uh, in his first day as a Yankee, which uh, always a good good way to start. Um, also won a World Series uh, in 2001, beating the Yankees with the Diamondbacks. Yeah. Um, so that was a, a long introduction for our first athlete. Our second athlete, uh, Ichiro Suzuki, uh, who 
played for forever. Um, as we were doing a, doing a, doing a bit of research, uh, played 2001 to 2019, uh, in the major leagues, but had a eight year career. Is that right? Before yeah, eight or nine. I mean, just, just a crazy amount of time has 3000 hits, uh, born in Japan, um, 500 stolen bases. I mean, just, just a really, uh, solid player for, for many, many years, uh, mostly with one organization. Yep. Um, and then, uh, perhaps my, my, uh, most favoritely named uh, athlete here, uh, Dick Butkus uh, was a, was a Bears uh, linebacker uh, in the '60s and early '70s. Uh, just fun to talk about Dick Butkus. Yeah, he was a uh, tenacious middle linebacker, legendary, um, and uh, given name Richard Marvin Butkus. Richard Marvin Butkus. Yeah, I. I understand why he he changed why he went with the nickname there. You know, Richard Marvin Butkus probably doesn't strike as much terror in in opposing uh, players. So, uh, our Ohio State athlete linebacker Anthony Schlegel, Schlegel. played f- played from two thousand three to two thousand five, and uh, had a, had a good career. Um, not anything you know necessarily outstanding but it just was a good solid um contributor for the ohio state football program there so john who do you like um well as much as i love the name dick buckus i'm willing to remove him out of contention are you are you uh are you good with that i'm good with that okay well that leaves us with randy johnson and ichiro suzuki um, who do you, I like those two personally out of, out of our list here. Um, any, anybody you lean toward? I mean, I, I'd be fine with either, but I think the fact that Randy Johnson killed a bird tips yeah. me over the scales to him and everybody to, to brighten your 2020, go, go Google that video because it's really just that good. Yeah. Um, Yes, yeah, so I, I could have gone either way, but Randy Johnson sounds good to me. Kills a bird, wins the pod. There you go. Uh, one thing you liked, John, will have you start. Yeah, so uh, Andrea and I have been, ever since our vacation, we picked up a card game called Monopoly Deal. Um, and everybody knows the issue with Monopoly is it takes, uh, you know, some, you know, somewhere around four to five days to complete a game. Yeah. And, uh, but Monopoly deal is strictly cars and it's marketed uh, as taking only 15 minutes. So uh, we've played uh, probably almost every day since vacation. We'll just sit down at night and play a couple hands and uh, it's nice. There aren't, there aren't many two player games out there that you can play. So th- this has been a nice one for us. Monopoly deal. And does it take like what kind of mental engagement does this take? Not, not a ton. So okay. it's uh, it's, it's a pretty basic four or five things going on at a time. We, we do it while we watch uh, TV or something in the evening, usually. Gotcha. So my one thing this week is uh, my latest book, the servant of the Lord and his servant people. It's part of the new studies in biblical theology is now available in the UK. So if you're one of our UK listeners, you get a leg up on uh, on our American audience. 
So uh, that is now available through InterVarsity Press. And I'm sure we'll we'll talk a little bit more about that on the pod down the road here at some point. But always fun to see a book that you've written uh, make its way out into the world. And did you uh, did you do an interview for that book as I, well? I did. I did. I, I'm not aware if it's been where or if it's been um, posted online. But if it uh, once once we get that information, we could probably direct folks oh, that yeah. way as well. Oh yeah. All right. Sounds good. Well, we've talked some college football playoff matchups. We have talked the Christmas story, and we have talked about baseball players killing animals. In a positive think, way. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, think, I think we're at the uh, mission accomplished phase of the program, wouldn't you say, John? I think we're there. Uh, we, we certainly... Uh, want to wish all of you a Merry Christmas. And uh, again, grateful for you, our listeners. We hope that this Christmas season is something that uh, despite how awful uh, 2020 has been in many ways, that you still experience the, the joy that comes from God taking flesh and dwelling among us. And that that ends up being uh, a main focal point of your celebration of Christmas. So at this point, I think all that's left to say is the Lord bless you all real good. Later. Later.